Hey, everybody, it's Scott Burnside, back for another episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. As usual, my trusty sidekick, Pierre Lebrun, in Toronto. And a great treat today to start off this first segment of Two Man Advantage, Jaina Hefford joining us to talk some women's hockey a member of the 2018 Hall of Fame class, congratulations on that, and the interim commissioner of the Canadian Women's Hockey League. Uh, Jaina, this has been a busy four or five days for you and, and a lot of discussion about the future of women's hockey, uh, not just in Canada, but uh, really around the world and certainly in, in North America. And um, thank you for joining us to, to chat about what's ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Great. Well, I, I guess obviously the the first place to start, um, maybe if you could walk us through, Jana, the the process that led to the Canadian Women's Hockey League deciding to cease operations. That announcement came out Sunday morning, uh, a few days before the start mm-hmm. of the uh, the World Women's World Championships, uh, which are taking place uh, in Finland. Um, what led to that, and maybe what what you see as the next step in in keeping the growth arc of, of women's hockey on the upswing. Yeah, you know, it's, as you said, it's been a pretty uh, difficult few days and, and certainly few weeks. And um, coming off a season that uh, we felt like we really grew the game, we, we put it in a really positive spotlight. Uh, we tried to increase the visibility of the women um, and the great stars that we have. Um, there's so much momentum and excitement around the women's game right now. But in all of that, uh, it kept bringing us back to our model and, and how we were going to advance the game from here. And, uh, you know, I think there's kind of two elements to it. And, and one part of it is, um, you know, on the business side and sort of generating revenue. And we all know that revenues need to exceed our expenses. And we, we generate revenue through sponsorship, through donations, through ticket sales, um, merchandise sales, and we simply weren't getting, um, you know, we weren't getting the support in those areas to match our expenses. And uh, the women's hockey is such a growing sport, and obviously the the climate of of female sport and pushing women's sport is there, but um, we weren't seeing it in the tangible ways we needed to. Um, and the marketplace just simply wasn't responding on the on the revenue side. And then the second part of it is around probably more specifically around our model and being a not-for-profit and we're under an RC AAA status, meaning a registered charity of amateur athletics association. And under that model, um, we really can't pay athletes any more than a stipend. And as we look to ways that we're going to advance the game, I, I believe the women deserve so much more than they're getting. And uh, most of the athletes in our league make a few thousand dollars a year, um, which really is, it barely covers expenses and gas costs and equipment uh, and stuff like that. So, you know, we have a long way to go in advancing the women's game and advancing women in sports. And we just felt like under this model, we we weren't able to push the game forward. And uh, we certainly believe that there's great opportunity and great potential down the line. And, um, and we're really trying to push for those opportunities to come. And there's been a number of organizations and, that have stepped up and, and said they, they believe in women's sports, they believe in women's hockey, they have a desire to see it grow. And we're really hoping that at this point and this, uh, you know, pivotal point in the women's game that people step up and support it in real tangible ways. Yeah, that's really well said. And uh, just really, for me, shocking news when I, when I saw the news Sunday, and especially given the type of year that it's been, I think back to, you know, what played out of the Danish All-Star game in San Jose, I was there and, uh, you know, I've, We've got two daughters who play hockey at Lee Side here in Toronto, Jaina, and uh, you know mm-hmm. I, I, I feel yeah. it every every weekend in minor hockey rinks. The explosion of, of women's hockey and girls hockey, and and the path that's that surely it seems to have. Um, and yet mm-hmm. we have we have this news this week, and it's 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 just really heartbreaking. And and I guess the question I would ask is, you know, not that the NHL is is always the place to go to get all our answers. But I, I just feel like, you know, given the history of the NBA with the WNBA and, and, and that kind of path, if you feel that long-term down the road that there, that there hopefully can be some kind of a association, a real meaningful association with the NHL to mm-hmm. get this whole thing on track. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I've said this all along that that I think, you know, somewhere down the line here, the NHL does play a big part in the growth of the game and, and in advancing the game. And, and that's simply because of the resources they have, uh, obviously the financial backing they have. I mean, when you talk about the NHL All-Star Game and you see the way the athletes performed, and I can tell you we probably have 10 players in our league that could have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. And until people were able to see it on that platform, uh, people didn't realize how good the game is and how great these athletes are. And, and those, you know, that's something that, you know, that brand um, creates that. And as hard as we try, uh, we can't put the athletes on that sort of platform, certainly not in this model. And, uh, and that's where I see the value. And, um, of course, we, we want someday, you know, the goal for me is that these women will have a living wage. And, and we can debate what a living wage is, but it's certainly more than mm-hmm. a few thousand dollars a year. Jaina, uh, one of the sort of ongoing um, elements of, of what is is going to happen next and, and how things unfold, of course, is, you know, the presence of the National Women's Hockey League um, and the fact that in the wake of uh, your group deciding to cease operations that they announced that there would be, that they would absorb or they would have two new teams, uh, one in Montreal, one in Toronto, um, moving forward. Um, sort of piggybacking on Pierre's question, it has always struck me that the NHL has been very cautious about um sort of wading into how best to uh, forge a relationship between the NHL and a women's pro league, given that there were two leagues. And now that there's just one, do you think it, does it change that dynamic or, or is there, does there still need to be a resolution? Okay. What, what is women's pro hockey going to look like moving forward? Or how do you, how do you see that part of it unfolding? Like I said, I, I certainly believe the NHL plays a role in that. And, and whether you're talking about our league or the NWHL, the players are not, uh, you know, being paid the way we hope at someday, someday they will. And, um, and that comes down to a lot of things. It comes down to generating revenue in the marketplace. It comes down to getting people in the stands. And, um, you know, we didn't see that support at the level we needed to, to continue to advance the game. And I can't speak for the NWHL at all in terms of how they see it. Um, but I, I believe the game just deserves so much more and the players deserve so much more. And, and I think it's such a pivotal time and we have to push for change. And, and I believe in, in why we're doing this. And I believe that, um, you know, the players deserve more. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when you see the, the TV ratings for, you know, the women's Olympic gold medal game every four years, you're like, uh, you know, surely you're thinking there's got to be a way to channel mm-hmm. this so that it's not one moment every four years where it feels like, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, once again at, lo- at the last Olympics, I've got way more interest in the women's game than the men's game in that, in that Olympics. And, mm-hmm. and, and, but, but then, you know, four years go by and, 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 you know, there clearly weren't enough people buying tickets to go see games, uh, you know, in the CWHL this year. And that's the, the frustrating part is how does that translate, right? I mean, is that, do you feel like you're banging your head against the wall sometimes? Yeah, you know, it's extremely frustrating. I, I feel like there's a, a real big disconnect in, in how, you know, we see those players on the biggest stage in the Olympics every four years and potentially world championships once a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, we have an incredible attention and, uh, you know, you sell out arenas, doesn't matter if it's an NHL arena or not, to see those teams play. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the rivalry series, for instance, there was 40 players on the ice and 29 of them were playing in the CWHL. And, uh, you know, the excitement around that, but it doesn't translate to the local market level. And, uh, you know, if we are truly trying to advance the game and truly trying to create a professional model, um, this just, it, it wasn't doing it justice. Yeah. By the way, by the way, sh- shameless plug, but the Women's World's on, on TSN coming up here. So I should mention that. <laughs> Always good to get that plug in. Well, Jane, I'm curious, and I don't know whether, you know, when you, I know Pierre mentioned the WNBA and their relationship with the NBA, and, and that's something that has had mm-hmm. its ebbs and flows over the years as well. And I wonder if you have an idea of what, in a perfect world, what does the model look like? Is it a, uh, you know, a direct uh, relationship between, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto women's pro team? 
in that city, the Montreal Canadiens and and the team in Montreal and, and so on, in Buffalo, on down the line. Is it that mm-hmm. kind of tight relationship like that? Uh, what what does it look like to you in a perfect world for where where we where you don't have these kinds of discussions, where where you get to a point where it, um, the 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 players are played. In, Paid an appropriate salary, and the game's profile continues to grow and 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 mm-hmm. and grows exponentially because of of the connection. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speculate too much because I don't I don't know what next steps are. But I will mm-hmm. say, you know, when we look at other women's pro sports, if we talk about the WNBA, they have that NBA infrastructure behind them. If we talk about women's professional soccer, my understanding is U.S. soccer is a big piece of that infrastructure and. And we didn't have that behind us to support us and provide the resources we needed. So certainly that's where someone like the NHL would come in to provide that, that structure. Um, all I can say is, you know, in terms of the teams we worked with, they were, they're great partners. And uh, of course, I'd love to see, you know, I live in Toronto and I know MLSC has been a strong, strong support of the CWHL. Of course, I'd love to see a team that's, you know, affiliated to them because they are great components of the women's game. But um, yeah, I just, I don't think at this point I can speculate too much what that looks like. Um, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you have to talk to Gary about that if, if it ever got to that point, but, um, you know, I believe that infrastructure is, is critical to a women's professional league. And before we let you go here, uh, Jane, I think, thanks again for joining us. But, uh, of course your official title was, was interim commissioner and, uh, and I'm just wondering where all this leaves you now in your, uh, professional life as, as far <laughs> as next, next steps for the, uh, recently, uh, inducted hockey hall of fame right here yeah i don't know i mean this is all uh you know relatively sudden to me too so uh i'll see where it takes me i mean i will always advocate for female sports and, and women's hockey and and certainly push for what i believe you know the players deserve and and hopefully that'll you know i'll be able to remain in, in the hockey world on some level but uh i don't know i I'll probably uh take some time to figure out what that next step is so, and just again, before you uh, you head off, um, I think there's been a lot of discussion since the announcement on Sunday that uh, suggesting that maybe this is one of those hard decisions, these hard things that had to be undertaken so that something better can grow of it. Now, maybe that's Pollyannish, mm-hmm. maybe it's naive to think that, but I think there is mm-hmm. this belief that women's hockey is is growing in popularity the profile is changed even in the last year or two years and i wonder if you believe that that's the case that this hard decision Mm -hmm. was necessary for something much bigger and better to grow out of it in spite of how difficult it might have been for you and the rest of the board yeah absolutely and and maybe that's me being an idealist but i i completely agree with you i think anytime you know something you know, some real big change has to happen. You, you gotta, you gotta muck through the, the muddy water sometimes to get there. And, and this has been difficult and it's not something we ever wanted or, or thought would happen. I don't think, uh, but it keeps coming back to, to me. I, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with this because I believe in what we're trying to do. And I believe that there's more out there. I believe that, um, and optimistic for, for the future and those opportunities that future female hockey players, um, Pierre, like your daughters, and, and I have a daughter, and, you know, there's there's better opportunities out there for these women to be, uh, you know, respected for what they do. Yeah, that's so well said. For sure. It's, um, I, I want to ask about the world, so before we let uh, Jaina go. Now, Jaina, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been a while since you've actually played, but these are, and I, I've been following the reports from Finland as the tournament gets ready to kick off there, and certainly mm-hmm. the tune-up games, is, as you and Pierre alluded to, you know, lots of interest and, and lots of popularity. What's it like for you to, uh, to watch sort of from afar now as a, as a former player and uh, as we've mentioned a couple of times as a member of the uh, the Hall of Fame uh, do you get nervous still watching or what's your what's your take on on uh, the 2019 Women's World Championships Yeah I'm excited to to watch it and I had a chance to uh, do a bit of the rivalry series um, uh, the panel discussions and so it got me I guess a little bit more involved on on a deeper level aside from just the entertainment part of it. But 
Um, you know, I've had a chance to stay close to a number of those, those athletes and, and people that I, I played with still, um, you know, five, six years ago. So I have an interest in it for sure. Um, I, again, uh, as a fan, I, I feel like it's such a, a pivotal time for the game and coming out of the rivalry series, I think for Canada specifically, um, I think they've got a new sort of aura about them, a new level of confidence. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've struggled over the last number of years, certainly. But uh, I'm excited to watch what's going to happen here um, because I think they gained a lot of confidence coming out of that series. And, and we'll see if they're able to, to maintain that going forward. Very good. Well, as Pierre said, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, join us today. And uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time that we impose on you and certainly won't be the last Mm -hmm. time in the coming weeks and months that that we talk about the future of women's hockey and what's next and and possible relationships with the NHL and all that. So thank you very much for hanging out with us today. No problem. I appreciate you guys having me. All right, my friend. That's very interesting. And uh, I've been curious what you think of, um, you know, because the NHL has been very, you know, so they're in a bit of a difficult position on this, right? Because they don't want to, I know in the past, both uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly have, have been very uh, cautious about not wanting to be seen as sort of imposing their will on women's hockey, especially when there were two professional leagues. Now, of course, there's just one. Um, but I think they've made it very clear that um, this, the, the leagues had to sort of work it out themselves. And and then the NHL sort of would see beyond that. Do you, is that fair to say? And, and, and maybe how do, how do you see it getting resolved as we move forward now that the CWHL uh, is no longer in existence? Yeah, I don't know that it changes all that much in terms of how the NHL is going to operate right now because there still is another league operating. And, yeah. you know, when I uh, tweeted yesterday that that the league was now going to take uh, that $50,000 sponsorship that it was giving the CWHL and just um, add it to the fifty grand it was already giving to the NWHL, and so it'll be a hundred grand now, people really freaked out uh, on Twitter <laughs> because... Because they couldn't believe, I mean, they thought there was missing a zero on my tweet. And and uh, and I get it. It's not a big sum of money when you consider the revenues of the National Hockey League. But I think it underlines, quite frankly, and this is my own opinion. It's not, you know, anything that the league has told me, but this is my read on things. I think it tells you that the league, sorry, the NHL, doesn't really think that the NWHL uh, has a very good business model, probably, and probably felt, you know, unfortunately the same about the CWHL. And the point being, and maybe I'm naive here, but I think that what the NHL is probably planning long term is that if the NWHL also folds at some point, that that's the NHL's window. That's when the NHL says, okay, you know, let's put together something with structure here and let's have a woman's league. That's really that. That's my thought on it. I could be wrong, yeah. but that's what I. That's what I think the NHL is keeping, um, you know, itself back for right now. And yeah. I mean, listen, I get it. I'm sure there are a lot of things that people around hockey, the hockey world, wishes the NHL would invest in. But unless the NHL is controlling it, I don't know how comfortable they are in doing that. Right? Uh, I mean, that's right. the, and and you know, and it does give a lot of money to both USA Hockey and Hockey Canada, which I think we need to say this ends up helping girls hockey everywhere on both sides of the border. So it's not like they're, they're ignoring the sport, but, but I understand why people reacted the way they did yesterday, because a hundred grand is, is, is pocket change to the national hockey league. So it's not really helping the NWHL a whole lot. Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. Right. But um, man, I'm, you know, is it the, I guess there is, and you're right, like that, the backlash from, oh, okay, well, we'll take that $50,000 that we, Previously, we're giving to the CWHA. We'll fold it into the NWHL, uh, and 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 there you go. And people were, you know, outraged. Although, it, uh, you know, I guess I would ask: Is it the league's place to be? You know, let's say, what's the number? Okay, here, here's a million dollars. Well, the league doesn't control the NHL. It doesn't control they, they, you know, that it's not their league to look after. Right? They right. look at their. They, they have a job, I think, to look after the sport as a whole. And that means Olympics. It means international hockey. It means grassroots hockey everywhere. It certainly means women's hockey on, on some level. But mm-hmm. to prop up 
or support a, a, a pro women's league. I, I'm not sure that's there, especially since it's not there. side. I think it's a bit misguided to suggest that all oh, the NHL should be doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. Now on the other hand, I mean, I, I will certainly hold the NHL's feet to the fire. If the NWHL ever does fold and then it doesn't do anything about bringing together women's pro league under the NHL umbrella. I think if that moment in time ever happens, it really is, it really behooves the NHL to take that leadership role at that point in time. Um, Agreed. And 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 this is where I've I have had my disagreements with the NHL over the years. The idea of the fact that there's a difference sometimes between what's good for the actual sport, but not necessarily good for the bottom line of the NHL. Sometimes those two things aren't aligned. Sometimes the and you know where I'm getting that. I'm talking about Olympic participation and the league's sure. decision. At this point, not to be in the Olympics anymore, I, I really struggle with that. I know you do too, and I understand the NHL's position that after all these years of being in the Olympics, that they don't believe there's a direct benefit to their bottom line. That may actually be true. I'm not disagreeing with that, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an unbelievable benefit to what's best for the sport of hockey, and that's having its best. Uh, male and female players in the Olympic Games every four years. Those are two that happen to be two different things, perhaps. And so I guess what I'm getting at is this, Scotty, is that uh, I don't know enough about uh, the NBA and the WNBA to to understand how that's all worked over the years. But my very superficial knowledge of it is that you know the NBA, the WNBA hasn't exactly been a huge moneymaker, that it's had its financial issues. But I would suggest, and I, again, it's, it's naive for me to say this because it's not my money, but for the betterment of the sport, I think the WNBA has been tremendous. I, I think it's hard to deny that. And, and this is where I would say that one day if the NHL is in a position to have uh, you know, a WNHL, whatever you want to call it, that I would hope that the initial uh, judgment of it would not immediately be revenues and, and, and the bottom line, but to have a real long-term view of it in terms of an investment and to understand that, you know, the, the ramifications of how huge that would be for, for women and girls everywhere. Uh, and frankly, for, for, for everyone, period. So anyway, sorry, I'm getting a little no, rantish, no, here, but, I, but, but, but no. I mean, I, I, that's sort of where I'm coming from on it. I love it when you get rambunctious and I, I think it's absolutely true. And I think, and, and again, the NWHL, NWHL, yes, will do what it's going to do. They'll do what they believe best. If at some point uh, they and some of the, whether it's uh, Jane or whoever it is from the the remnants of the CWHL, if they sit down in a room with Bill Daly and Gary Bettman at some point and say, okay, let's 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 put all this aside and let's try and do something that works for the NHL and for women's hockey. Um, I'm with you. Like to me, it's, it's an exponential thing. If you do it properly and you're under the NHL umbrella, then it does. It's about growing the game right from the, the very bottom. And I think one of the, we talked a lot when we were talking with Jaina about the growth of women's hockey and the excitement of, uh, of, of, youngsters who wanted to be like Kendall Coyne Schofield after the San Jose all-star game and who watched the women who took part in, uh, in the skills competition demonstrating both this year. And then a year ago, uh, in Tampa as well, those are hockey fans and they can mm-hmm. be women's hockey fans and they can be NHL fans. And I think the, the more that you grow that group, um, then the better it is for everyone. And it, at some point it should be good for the NHL too. So, yep. Dairy. I hate when we agree. That's the scary I thing. So, yeah, I know. I feel kind of let down about that, but I tell you what, let's do this. We will take a brief break. We'll come back for the second segment of two man advantage, the podcast. And I can almost guarantee we will disagree about several things when we start talking about the final days of the regular season, uh, the opening of the playoffs in a week. Uh, so I'm pretty sure we'll find something to butt heads against. How's that sound? I guarantee it. 
All right, my friend. So, okay, <laughs> I have to ask you, if you, if you were to uh, give me the temperature of angst, can angst have a temperature? Let's, let's assume that there can be an angst temperature. Uh, what do you say to think the temperature is 1 to 100 in Toronto now as the Leafs stumble their way towards the end of the regular season and what is now assured a second straight first-round matchup against uh, – I've talked to several people. The it's, there may not be mighty, but they're an imposing Boston Bruins team. Uh, what's the temperature of angst in Toronto right now? Yeah, I mean, I you know the thing is, they Leaf fans have known for a while now in this city that that this was going to be the series. So so it's not like it's creeping up on them. And you know, listen, they, it it's not been very appealing defensively in terms of what this Leafs team has looked like in their, in their own end in the final weeks of the regular season. A lot of that, of course, could be attributed to not having one of their top four blue liners and Jake Gardner, who appears to be on the men. But, you know, ups and downs. I mean, I think Monday's win uh, against the Islanders on Long Island was, was well-received with John Tavares scoring the winner and all the history behind that. But that was more of a blip than, than what's really happening. I mean, this is a Leafs team that doesn't, you know, doesn't quite have the swagger it probably should for the talent that it has uh, entering these playoffs here. And and that's why, interestingly enough, um, you know, I love the fact that Mike Babcock came out uh, yesterday, which was Tuesday morning. I was at the skates and said that Frederick Anderson would play both Thursday against Tampa and Saturday against Montreal, uh, regardless of the fact those games are meaningless for Toronto in the standings. Um you know, because it's about preparation for Frederick Anderson. I mean, the, the Leafs, I don't think, will open until next Thursday at Boston. So timing-wise, it makes sense for the starting goalie. But but I think it speaks to something bigger. I, I think the Leafs want to go in to the playoffs with a couple of solid outings under their belt. And what better way to do that than to potentially beat the best team in the NHL on Thursday and then potentially end the playoff dreams of one of their big rivals on Saturday. So, so there is that. But at the end of the day, they will be the underdogs against the Bruins yet again for a second year in a row. And I think it has a lot of Leaf fans nervous. Now, what I would tell you is this. It it actually would not shock me if Toronto won. And and if they do win, the, the chief reason to me will be John Tavares. In that, a year ago, when the Bruins shut down Austin Matthews, the Leafs had really no no other way of getting at the Bruins. I mean, it didn't help that Kadri got suspended in that series, but just the mere fact that the Leafs come at the Bruins with two number one center instead of one is a dynamic. I don't think that's getting nearly as much attention, even though it's a pretty obvious thing. I mean, that's why they signed John Tavares last summer, uh, that they would be such a you know a more difficult team to match up against. But John Tavares, as we tape this, forty seven goals. Um, so I, it's going to be interesting to me what Bruce Cassidy does in terms of, you know, is Patrice Bergeron going against Austin Matthews or is he going against John Tavares? And, and you know, who's a Dan Ochera going, going up against, you know? And so some more compelling or, or more difficult decisions for the Bruins matchup-wise than they had a year ago when, when they beat the Leafs in seven. I know it, it's going to be fun. I, I can't wait till next week and, and we'll do a proper playoff preview podcast. I think we're, we'll try and get that out Monday afternoon sometime once all the matchups are set after uh, Saturday's uh, games. But I, I talked to, I was talking to Keith, uh, Keith Jones, a longtime analyst player, of course, uh, doing some uh, uh, pre preview stuff. And he, to- he feels that Boston might be the biggest challenge to Tampa. In, mm-hmm. in the league, and yet I'm with I, you. I, I go ahead. No, I was going to say I don't disagree. I mean, I, I, honestly, I think that I think the best three teams in the East are Tampa, Boston, and Washington in that order. But I'm just saying about the Leafs that that no. they are different with John Tavares. I mean, it's it's a different thing. Yeah, see, and, and again, I, I know we promised that you and I would argue or butt heads, but I'm actually agreeing with you. It's almost like there there is so much of a groundswell, so much of a feeling of, oh no, here we go again. I, I, I think it actually fits nicely for what Mike Babcock and that team um, will be preparing for. I, I think there's a, almost a benefit to being um, 
heavy underdogs opening on the road and you add the the X factor of John Tavares this year, as you pointed out, I, I don't think that's a necessarily a bad place for the Toronto Maple Leafs to begin a playoff series, as opposed to, you know, certainly the expectation in Boston that they're that they should beat Toronto. Um, I think it would be different if Toronto was five or six or eight points ahead of the Bruins, and the expectation was, oh, how will Toronto do against Tampa in the second round? I, I think this might fit nicely for the way that Mike Babcock is going to have to approach the series. I, I just I don't don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. no it's true and you know i listen i mean there are players in that leaf team too that are chomping at the bit to, to redeem themselves for the way they played in that first round against boston last year uh you know i think of anderson i think of Kadri, and the, you know really a, a terrible decision with the suspension uh, matthews knows he can be better there's lots of interesting storylines there um but I will say that the thing that has really impressed me about the Boston Bruins this year is that unlike most teams that uh, that have really been slowed down by key injuries, which is normal. I mean, that's what happens. You have key injuries. And the Leafs are an example. I mean, they, they really hurt them when, when Gardner went down and Dermott went down first Dermott's back. But, you know, it, it did slow them down. Boston, it's amazing to me the way the Bruins had all those injuries for so many, especially in the first half, but you know, they, and then they missed David Pasternak for a long stretch. They never slowed down. Like, it doesn't seem to matter who's in that Bruins lineup, in or out. It's a machine. And and any other year, they're the division winner, probably the conference winner. They happen to be doing all this in a year in which Tampa Bay's doing historical things. So it's, yeah, I, I mean, listen, they're the Bruins are an absolute deep juggernaut. And my criticism of the Bruins in recent years has often unfortunately fallen on the shoulders of one player. I'm not a big Tuka Rask playoff fan. <laughs> and, and, and frankly, Tuka Rask tried to give away game seven last year to Toronto one, but he got lifted up by his teammates and, and, uh, and then lost to Tampa. And, uh, you know, and he obviously brought his team to the cup final in uh, 13 before losing uh, in a rather famous way <laughs> in the last few minutes of play against <laughs> Chicago. But but I'm not, I mean, Tukaras is an excellent goalie. He's been one of the elite netminders in this league for a long time. But he has not given me huge confidence that he's always at his best come come that time of year. And, that and, you yeah. know, I could be wrong, but that's always been my feel. And maybe this is the year that he, he changes our, you know, he changes my perception of it. Yeah, no, I know that. Well, I think that's it's it's been an ongoing. Even it was even last year, I mean, there was debate in the middle of the season whether Anton Kudobin was actually or should actually be the starter there before he left and signed in Dallas, and where he's been absolutely brilliant, backing up uh, the oft injured uh, Ben Bishop. And I think you have the you've had the same kind of dialogue this season with Yaroslav Halak, who's been lights out for the most part to. Uh, coming on in relief of or playing instead of or ahead of at times to Garask. And I want to ask you, because I think we've broadened this. I, I've been talking to some scouts and analysts as we prepare for the start of the playoffs. And when we talk about playoff goaltending, always the most critical factor, no question. But it does seem like this season there might be more situations where coaches are going to be forced into okay, how long is my leash for my starter? And and Bruce Cassidy may be feeling the same thing with Tuka Rask because Yaroslav Halak has been so good. But I think the same thing maybe exists in Nashville. We know Pecorine's had some struggles in the in the playoffs the last couple of years, and UC Saros has been very, very good. And he has emerged even more this year as the goaltender of the future in Nashville. I think it's fair to say that. Oh, David Riddich and, and Mike Smith in Calgary. I talked mm-hmm. to a scout today who, who he... He believes that Riddish will be the guy to start. That Smith is is should be the plan B. Uh, who knows? Um, you know, you look at the goaltending in San Jose. Um, you know, go around. There are probably five or six teams where the the goaltending tandem, and you wrote about this earlier, uh, has been so important to keeping guys fresh and healthy, all those kinds of things. But I think it also mm-hmm. sets up the potential for difficult coaching decisions come playoff time. Do you, do, you, do you think that we might see more of that this spring than we normally do, where it's, hey, he's my starter, we're going to sink or swim with him? Yeah, it, it's... Uh... It does. It does seem to present itself in a few more places than normal this year. I would say, and, and I tell you, the Calgary one is fascinating because uh, 
the Calgary Flames have ended up blowing away the field in the West, not just the, in the Pacific, but in the Western Conference period. Yeah, it's they not. Ra- they they ran away with the Western Conference title, an unbelievable regular season for the Flames for a team that missed the playoffs last year. Bill Peters will be in the Jack Adams discussion, I'm sure. You know, with Barry Trotz and John Cooper and Rick Tockett, etc. Uh, Rob Brindamore. Well, yes, Rob Brindamore. And Brad Treeliving, the GM of the Flames, I got to think, will be a finalist for the GM, uh, GM Award, GM of the Year. But can you remember, and, and, and I've, I've got a few at the top of my mind there, but I want you to answer first, but a team that is this far ahead of the pack, leading their conference, and yet we're going into the playoffs and people are literally debating whether it should be one goalie or the other starting the playoffs. It's pretty unusual, but it has happened. Now, I got one in mind, but I want you, but I want you to go first. Oh, you're brutal. That, it, 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 at least you could do is uh, send me a text earlier and tell me you were well, going to well, ask go, me this. I'll, I'll, I'll go, you I'll go ahead. Go, yeah, I'll go while you think. But do you remember the year, uh, I think Chris Pronger may have won the Hart Trophy that year, but the Blues <laughs> won the President's Trophy. I believe Roman Turk was a net for the St. Louis Blues. Yes. And, well, it didn't go well come playoff time and and that just happens right it's 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 (laughs) you know there are other positions on the team where you have a guy have a great regular season and if he doesn't quite have the same playoff at least if he's a defenseman or a forward you can maybe mask it with the depth you have but it's hard to do when the guy's your number one goalie and so it it is and again i i'm not i mean listen it, it may not be an issue for the flames clearly it hasn't been during the regular season no matter who's in goal but it, it is pretty unbelievable to have had the kind of year they've had and to have people openly debating which one should start and goal. Right. Oh, that's true. Well, and in St. Louis is a good example. I mean, the, uh, the young Jake Allen and Brian Elliott and really good teams in St. Louis when Ken Hitchcock was coaching there. And, and we've seen coaches try, you know, it's, it's not, you can, you can do it. And you can do it deftly to go from goaltender to goaltender, but it is difficult it, it it is a difficult task for a goaltender or a coach in the NHL to to find that rhythm if you if you don't have one guy that is your sink or swim guy and and I'm yeah, I'm with you I, I think it's, uh, there there may be more of those this spring well I I think of all those great Ottawa teams um, in and around just pre cap and post cap but the teams that kept losing to Toronto every year those were unbelievable t- teams up front and on defense and. Didn't get enough saves, right? Yep. I, I mean, that was always the Achilles heel. And then, uh, you know, go out and trade for Dominic Hasek, and he gets hurt at the Olympics. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and so it, it's, you know, it, it's the one position that forever has had the kind of impact on the fortunes of a team that uh, that just makes GMs uh, lose sleep at night because, you, you know, you're one injury away to one specific position and just blows up your entire year so it's always a big story but uh but calgary this year is just a great example of yeah they're great but and uh you know hopefully they hopefully it's not an issue because that is a well-crafted roster with immense talent and uh you know it's funny so your guy says david riddich i have the sneaking suspicion that mike smith is going to get the gene in the bottle just for the the amount of time it needs here and he's going to have a nice little playoff run that's my prediction All right. Well, we'll talk more about that next week, of course. But uh, I want to, we talked a little bit about uh, Boston and Toronto locked in. We know that uh, San Jose and Vegas are locked in. And you wrote this week that the NHL and the NHLPA have agreed that that, that the current playoff system will will continue to be our playoff system at At least least for the next year. Yes, I was going to say, at least for one year, there are people reacting to my tweet on Twitter thinking that this is it forever. They literally do not read. They've right. agreed that the PA is simply. You're just finding that, this out about Twitter, by the way. Yeah, yeah I no. know, I know. So no, all the PA did, and the PA had to go to its executive board and all the player reps um, to get the green light. But they've agreed to simply roll over the status quo for another year, and then who knows after that? You know, I think there probably are enough players that have piped up about it that that could be changed, especially with you know Seattle coming into the league here. In a couple of years, I suspect that the format will be looked at. But for now, for at least another year, and maybe more, but at this point, at least for another year, it's the same format. 
Right. And that's it. To me, it makes more sense if you are going to adjust it and whether you're, you know, who knows whether we get to an expanded playoff format or not. But even if you're just going to tweak it back to a 1 8 system in, in each conference, to me, it makes more sense just to do that when you're introducing the 32nd team in Seattle, that you could sort of roll those things because you will have a tweak in the divisional alignments and all those kinds of things. So maybe that makes more sense to do it, which would be in two years' time. So we'll see how that unfolds. Yeah, well, uh, and don't forget, yeah. Arizona is moving to the Central as part of right. Seattle going into the Pacific. And, and and I wrote this last week about the playoff format, but it's not just the playoff format. When you When you change the playoff format, you're also changing the schedule, the schedule matrix. And, and that takes a lot of work and planning uh, with the NHL schedule maker, because now you're changing the way, you know, how many, you know, how many games you're playing against each other, all kinds of different things are happening right. with yeah, the no, regular season lead up to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, a couple of things we want to uh, tie up before we uh, close our, I'm going to say that the penultimate podcast of the regular season because our next podcast will be before the start of the playoffs but after the regular season so it's the second last one so i'm going to say that um uh, i don't think and I, there's there seemed to be very little surprise uh, and you wrote a little bit about it but uh, jeff blashill being extended as a head coach in detroit uh, my sense is that even though maybe early on in the season there was some question is is he the guy to lead the wings into their new future but I've been watching them lately. You know what? There's there's a lot to like about that Detroit team, and uh, and I think quite correctly, Jeff Blashill has been deserves a lot of credit for um, some of the evolution that has taken place in a very difficult couple of seasons for Detroit. And uh, I take it you weren't surprised that that he's going to be he's going to be the guy moving forward in Detroit. I, I'm not surprised he was extended. The only eyebrow raiser for me was the fact that it was only for two years. And that's not really the norm when coaches get extensions. Generally speaking, there are different circumstances sometimes, yes. but And and I think it makes sense. I mean, I think if you really sit down and examine everything that's going on in Detroit, you understand what, you know, why it was. I mean, first and foremost, you know, is, it's that the Red Wings have high standards. And, and, and yes, the rebuild is going in the right direction. And yes, Jeff Blaschel, I think, is being credited for really bringing along the core, you know, the, the younger core of that team. But it's not okay to keep missing the playoffs. That's not what the Red Wings are about. So I think the two-year extension speaks to the idea that this better keep going in the right direction, and they need to get back in. And so, so, so you know, um, I'm not going to say he's on notice, but I think everyone's on notice there that, that you know they don't want this to be a five, six-year thing from this point forward. But I also you know, and maybe this is the elephant in the room, but let's be honest, Ken Holland himself just signed a two-year extension last summer, right, as GM. So there's a little uncertainty, I think, uh, heading into the summer as to, you know, is Kenny Holland going to stay as GM? Is he uh, going to get a promoted upstairs? Uh, is he going to be in the mix for the Seattle job? Um, we all know that everyone in the hockey world thinks Steve Eisman might come home, but to be honest, there's no actual tangible proof of that but but it's it's what everyone thinks um so there's given that the jam position itself is doesn't have longevity attached to it in terms of ken holland's own position i think that also was probably a consideration you know when dealing with jeff Blaschel. i mean you don't you don't want to sign your coach to a six-year extension and then hand over the job to a new gm next summer or the summer after that no well we and we've seen this in, in very places various places around the nhl where a GM comes in and a co- you know coach has been newly established by either the previous regime or ownership or whatever the dynamics are and and it's you know sometimes it works and and sometimes it it doesn't work but there is I think in general you'd like your GM and your coach to be in lockstep and you want them to be on the same page and you want them to have I think it's important that they have a, you know, a, a certainly a good working relationship and then a shared vision of what you want your team to to look like. And, mm-hmm. and I think you're right. I mean, I think you, the the contract lengths in Detroit do speak to you know, maybe some uncertainty. We no no one knows how that's going to unfold. And um, I, I guess what for me, I, I was I wasn't surprised with the the Detroit move. But and you outlined in your piece this week. I think it's going to be such a a fascinating summer in terms of the coaching carousel. It's, 
it happens every year, right? Coaches get fired, new coaches get hired. It just, it's part of the cycle of life in the NHL. Um, but I want to ask you, when you think of Joel Quenville and his presence in the marketplace moving forward, and things are going to really start to heat up on a number of coaching fronts as soon as game 82 gets played, but Ottawa didn't even wait. So, you you know, next week it's going to start to heat up the, the coaching dis- discussions and decisions. Is, this Joel, is Joel Quenville similar to when Mike Babcock was was available? Do you do you draw comparisons? Do you think teams will you know will take a lesson or will have watched what happened as Mike Babcock was deciding on his future, ultimately going to Toronto? Does Joel represent the same kind of thing or a different thing to you? No, I mean, listen, you're talking about a coach that's going straight to the Hall of Fame one day, Scotty. For so for yeah. sure. You know, I guess the one thing to keep in mind with with Joel Quenville is that, you know, he, he's got another year on his deal paying him north of $6 million. Uh, so, you know, that has to get figured out with the Blackhawks. But it also speaks to, you know, the, the kind of pay scale that he's in, and much like Mike Babcock. And and so, you know, it not may not be necessarily for every NHL team <laughs> to to be in that ballpark. Uh, financially, I think that's the first thing you, you have to consider. You know, I mentioned this last week as a possibility, and, and, and only because I'm just tying, I'm you know drawing the dots between past relationships. But if indeed there's a coaching change in Florida, and again, we don't know that there will be one for sure. Bob Bugner is still coach, and um, but my understanding is that the Panthers are you know will evaluate the coaching position like other things in the organization after a year that uh, was below expectations in South Florida, but. It's hard not to think of a couple of things. And, and you know, maybe, you know, if, if Del Tal makes a coaching change, can he get his old buddy, Coach Q, in the fold? And if he gets Coach Q in the fold, it just so happens that there's a Russian free agent superstar winger who loved playing for Coach Q. <laughs> yeah, in our attorney Panarin, of course. So could all those yeah. things, could the stars all align there in South Florida? Who knows? I mean, maybe that's all fantasy, but I think it's something you got to think about. Um, but there'll be other teams that will want to uh, knock on Joel Quenneville's door too. But as I mentioned in my piece, like there's a lot of solid veteran brand name power out there, isn't there? Like Ale Vigo is, is still yeah. out there. And now he's going to coach Canada, the worlds and that'll boost his profile again. And Todd McClellan has not forgotten how to coach despite uh, not being the savior in Edmonton. And uh, you know, again, I know Rob Blake and LA really likes him, but I think other teams uh, are going to reach out. Um, you know, Dave Tippett, is, you know, I think pretty happy with his uh, work in Seattle, but a coach is a coach is a coach. So I, I suspect that if there's a right offer out there, it might be something Dave Tippett would listen to. So that's, you know, just starting with those four, I mean, that's a lot of coaching talent and experience. <laughs> and so, Sorry, I, you know, could, could yeah. they all find their way back? It's, it is fascinating. It's, I uh, put together a sort of a, virtual coaching roundtable talk to a, a bunch of, of current, uh, mostly current, but some uh, former head coaches about coaching in the playoffs. And, and Dave Tippett was one of them. And, and among the things he said, because I asked him that very question at the end, I said, do you, is it strange for you when you see the playoffs upcoming? Does it, you know, does it make you antsy to be, to be back in the game? And he said that there is nothing like coaching in the playoffs. And he said, that's why you never say never. So to your point, and I know right. uh, there have been, you know, some reports out there, maybe, maybe the coaching bug is, is, is not so, it hasn't been tamped down that far for uh, Dave Tippett in spite of w- what is an important role with the Seattle expansion team. Um, you're right. It, it will be an interesting few months uh, on that front because if he does throw his hat into the ring, it changes the dynamics in the coaching uh, in the coaching world again. So, very good. Uh, all right. One thing before I want to go, I want to ask you this. I know that we uh, we had one of our colleagues, Tyler Dello, who an analytics guy had been doing some work in Edmonton. Then he was writing for the athletic and now he's been hired by Ray Shiro uh, to be part of the management team with the New Jersey devils. And um, so interesting uh, move for him. But I wonder, has the team ever called you and offered you a job? That's what I was curious about when I when I saw <laughs> Tyler going. Now, I'm not saying that you and Tyler have the exact same qualifications, um, but uh, has that ever happened to you? You can you can you don't have to say if there was or whatever. But I, mean, I was just curious. 
Uh, no, I, I've never per se been offered a, a job. I mean, I've had, uh, I won't be careful here. I I've had, uh, <laughs> I I've had teams, uh, it, it's been brought up socially, uh, about my ideas about, uh, you know, later on in my career, you know, would I be interested in trying something different? And, uh, that has come up and, and frankly, you know, that, that could be something down the road, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I think I like what I'm doing now and I like what I'm doing now because, uh, um, I don't live and die by the result of a game every night. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for that. When I look at the stress that, uh, that, uh, people throughout hockey or organizations go through on a nightly basis, uh, especially for a few teams here in the final week, my goodness. So I, you, you missed a perfect opportunity because if you said, well, if I work for a, a team, I wouldn't be able to come on the podcast every week with me. So I, yeah. I just assumed that's no, where that, you were going. That, that, that would actually be a benefit, actually. But uh, <laughs> by the way, I, 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 I have to say it's very hard for me to admit this. But man, that I love your uh, your piece on the Hurricanes and the bunch of jerks and and, uh, you know, all the voices you got in there. I know you were there last week and uh, I, and I'm hoping that you, you haven't jinxed them. They're only one point up from the danger zone with uh, two games left. And you basically told Tom Dundon on our podcast last week that they were in. So that's a lot of pressure for you right now. If they they miss the playoffs, you may never be welcome back to Carolina the rest of your career. My my rally privileges may be revoked if the uh, Canes fall out of it. But they had a huge win against Toronto. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, I mean, I love the emotion and it's been fun to watch the, the fans on, on Twitter and, and to follow up to, to the piece that there really is, it's completely different there than, well, <laughs> than any time I think in a decade. And, um, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's great to see because it's, you know, it's, they, they deserve to have some good news and there are lots of, uh, of people who worked very hard and worked through very difficult situations and, and really put a lot on the line to, to, to make this happen. So um, no cheering in the press box, my friend, but uh, it would be better for the athletic uh, if the Carolina hurricanes made it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, better for you anyway. That's for sure. All right. I got to run. I got other stuff to do and up already. I know. I know, it's perfect. Well, next time we talk, we'll be talking playoff matchups, my friend. Good work. Right on, right on.